Uh, one of the most profound experiences of my life happened about six and a half years ago. And um, it started on an evening where um, Campbell and Joe and I went to the Rivoli in Camberwell Cinema and we watched the, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader movie. It's okay. A detail that's important to know is that Joe was nine months pregnant. And anyway, we, we got through the whole movie, 3D glasses and everything. And at the end of the film, uh, we all sort of left and Campbell went home. And then Joe said, oh, I'm feeling a bit weird. I think, I think it might happen. And uh, she was, I was sort of looked at her and I was a bit freaking out because it was, you know, our first child. I'd not experienced this before. And I, my, my response was, not tonight, because tomorrow was Sunday and I have to preach. Um, anyway, we went home and went to bed and after about an hour, the contractions started. And, uh, and first she didn't make a big deal of it and we tried to go to sleep, but then it just kept happening and then by 6 or 7 a.m. we were off to the Mercy Hospital and then um, by, I think it was 7 p.m. That, or 6 p.m. that night, Leo was born. Um, and it was very full-on, um, more so for Joe than me, um, but it was also it was quite a full-on experience. And it was magical. Uh, my friend Meg said to me, you created a person. And here are a few things that I learned about childbirth from that. First of all, childbirth involves excruciating pain and suffering on behalf of the mother. Secondly, while the baby plays a role in its birth, really it's a mum who does everything. Uh, and uh, I remember Leo came out hand first. Uh, um, and if the birth goes smoothly for the baby, it's not really anything to do with how great the baby is, obviously. But thirdly, childbirth really is miraculous. I just want you to remember those three things and hold on to it as we explore this famous story from the Bible. Last Sunday, Rob um, preached on the previous verses, and one of the things that came out of that was um, this um, truth that Jesus really knows each one of us, and the problem that we all have is that in our heart, um, we are all sinners, um, that we really need to have our sin dealt with. We need to be born again, and that's what this passage is about. And what we will see is that to be born again requires a miracle of God's spirit and also requires us to do something in response. So let's look at Nicodemus. The fact that we need to be born again, first of all. The passage begins, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So this is the focus of our story. Um, Nicodemus, a very religious man. If you go to one of the big cathedral services at St Paul's Cathedral, um, say Christmas Eve or an ordination service, you'll see lots of religious people walking around. You'll see robes flowing, all kind of colours and funny big mitres and people holding sticks out and um, all kinds of uh, liturgical ballet, I, I call it. Um, and, the, and each of them has... Uh, you know, these religious people have a special name, you know, the very reverend, the most reverend, the right reverend doctor. Um, and you might, you know, feel a bit cynical about this when you see that sort of thing. I know I sort of feel a little bit funny about it. But not in Jesus' times. 
Nicodemus was a very highly respected religious teacher and he had a reputation to maintain. He had high credentials as a leader of the Jews. He was a holder of the knowledge of spiritual truths, one of the 6,000 Pharisees, a member of the ruling council of Israel called the Sanhedrin, which had 71 people led by the high priest. Um, He worked hard at keeping the law and he was a distinguished teacher. So given his high status amongst the Jewish community, listen to how startling these words are. He came to Jesus at night, this is verse 2, and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now, it is startling at first this religious man with high status in the religious community should call Jesus Rabbi. This was a mark of great respect. Something was seriously up with Nicodemus. When somebody endorses somebody else, you, you know, you want to pay attention. I, I remember I went to this gig in Castlemaine about 10 years ago of a singer who I'd never heard of, but my friend was working there at the time as a waitress, and she said, um, uh, you know, you should check out this singer. He's really good. His name is Paul Brady. He was an Irish singer. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I feel like watching an Irish singer. But on, on the A-frame out the front of the, um, the Castle Main Theatre, it said um, a quote from Bob Dylan. Some guys got it down. Leonard Cohen, Paul Brady, Lou Reed, secret heroes. I was like, well, if Bob Dylan thinks that he's pretty good, then I should go and see this guy. <laughs> and I went, and he was amazing. When Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi, he's endorsing him. He's saying, you're pretty good, and I reckon you're great. The irony of it is, though, of course, Jesus is the rabbi's rabbi. He's ultimately far superior than Nicodemus is in terms of spiritual status. But Nicodemus would soon find this out later. See, he's calling him rabbi, but actually he's a bit nervous. He's a bit shy. He's come at night. He doesn't want anyone to see him. I'm sure you've experienced a feeling of being secretive about about your faith. You're excited about your faith internally, but you don't want anyone to know. You don't want to be caught out. So so you sort of sneak around. That's what Nicodemus was doing. And of course, he's also spiritually in the dark, isn't he? This is a theme in the Gospel of John. He did not yet believe in Jesus, but he was certainly drawn to the light that shines in the darkness. John 1 verse 5. So you can picture these two spiritual men sitting up on the top of the roof, drinking apple tea, dipping their bread in the um, you know, balsamic vinegar and having a chat. Once Joe and I, um, we were, when Joe was the chair of the Oak Tree Foundation, there was this big dinner in 2008 and we were on the high table at the St Kilda Town Hall. And I was sitting next to this um, older Scottish man who's just sitting there just minding his own business, eating um, his dinner. And, not name-dropping, but the Prime Minister was on the table too. And um, the, this old Scottish man, at, and Kevin Wright at the time, knew each other. Oh, hi. How you going? Yeah, good. Having a good chat. Anyway, I'm just still talking to the Scottish man. And he asked me, what do you do, son? And I was telling him about Mustard School's ministry. And, you know, hey, oh, that sounds good. And uh, he said, if there's any way I can help you, I, I, I'd love to, you know, help you out somehow. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you know, I didn't have any idea who he was. And he hands me his card. And um, it was John Stewart, 
the CEO of the National Bank. That's what I was sitting next to the CEO of the National Bank. He's offering to help me out here. And suddenly I got all kind of not awkward, you know. Oh, so uh, what do you, uh, uh, how, how do you like the Oak Tree Foundation? I didn't know how to go on from there. This is what Nicodemus is sort of doing with Jesus. He's sort of very awkward. He's in the presence of greatness and doesn't know how to talk. And he, he sort of says, we, we, as in some of the other guys at the Sanhedrin, we think that God is working through you. Uh, those miracles that you're doing, they're pretty extraordinary. Really what he wants to say is, who are you? Are you great? Are you the Messiah? But Jesus actually turned this awkward conversation into something really even more awkward. Um, and he rejected Nicodemus' authority to even make claims about him. Jesus says, verse 3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. Unless they are born again. Ouch! Nicodemus thought he could see something in Jesus, but Jesus said, no one can see anything in terms of God unless they are born again. This idea of being included or excluded from the kingdom of God now was a relatively new idea for the Jewish people. They, they had this idea that at the end of time, uh, they would enter into some kind of new age, new heaven, new earth, and those who had kept the law would enter and those who rejected God would not be included. But this idea of entering it now was a new idea. So it would be safe to assume that Nicodemus thought he was probably in a good, safe place to be able to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus was talking about entering and seeing it, seeing it now, not just at the, in the new heavens and the new earth. And he was saying that even Nicodemus, with his high status in the Sanhedrin, could not enter or see the, the, the kingdom of God unless he was born again. Perhaps you think of yourself as worthy of God's uh, kingdom because you get involved in good works in the community. If you think that you're as religiously blind as Nicodemus, that doesn't make you worthy, you need to be born again. Perhaps you think of yourself as worthy of seeing the kingdom of God and, and understanding spiritual things because you espouse progressive Melbourne values you are pro-refugees, you're pro-climate change um, policies, you are um, pro-Aboriginal uh, reconciliation, you want to increase aid. That does not make you worthy of the kingdom of God. If you think that you are just as religious as Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Perhaps you think of yourself as worthy of God's kingdom because you come to church every Sunday. If you think that you are just as re religious as Nicodemus, that doesn't make you worthy, you need to be born again. What does Jesus mean when he says born again? Isn't that what American fundamentalists say? You've got to be born again. It's a concept that comes from this passage. It's, a, it's, a, it's an image that Jesus uses. And it's a big theme in the Gospel of John. Remember back in the prologue, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1, which is the go-to for this whole Gospel, remember? Verse 12 and 13 says, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born, not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. So even with Nicodemus' high standing and good works, he could not enter the kingdom. So what hope is there for anyone else? Nicodemus needs to go through a radical change. 
a transformation. Jesus did not mean a part of Nicodemus had to change, but the whole of him had to change. And as we learned last week, there's no part of us that is not affected by sin. A new birth is necessary. What you love needs to change. What your priorities are need to change. Who you serve needs to change. How you spend your money needs to change. How you see others, how you see yourself, how you channel your sexuality, uh, what you daydream about, what you hunger for, all of this needs to change. So Jesus is establishing to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And then he moves on to explain that a miracle of the Spirit needs to occur. How can you be born a second time, Nicodemus is thinking? How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born, says verse 4. He's not being daft, he's kind of being facetious. And he's being dismissive of Jesus. How can you expect me to change? I'm an old bloke, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, sort of thing. But obviously Nicodemus didn't really understand Jesus. How is this new birth possible? No one can enter the kingdom of God, says Jesus, unless they are born of water and the Spirit, verse 5. Earlier Jesus was talking about seeing the kingdom. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Now he's saying you can't even enter the kingdom if you're born again. He's saying, verse 5, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. No matter how good your credentials are, you can't see the kingdom, you can't enter the kingdom unless you're born of the Spirit. Where we had to cut a lot of commentary pages short, where to see water and the Spirit is the same thing. Jesus often, don't get caught up on thinking about baptism here, um, where Jesus often talks about the water being a symbol of the Spirit here. Um, human beings give birth to people who, are, who belong to the earth, but humans do not give birth to people who are children of God, only the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. And think about this, the Son of God descended from the throne room to become flesh so that we, fleshly people, could be born of the Spirit. Great stuff. To be a person who can even keep up in the kingdom of God, you need to be made into a new kind of person who is empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, A famous Archbishop of Canterbury from the 1930s, William Temple, said it like this. It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it. I can't. And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it. I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like that. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like that. The fact is no one can last a second in the kingdom of God unless they are born again by the spirit of God. Unless God's spirit enters you and transforms you, every part of you, of your heart and your mind. It requires a miracle of the spirit of God. And we cannot control this, uh, says God. The wind blows wherever it pleases. This is verse 8. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. 
Some of you would know that the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, and it can sometimes be used for wind as a pneumatic. Um, not very often, but sometimes. And definitely this is what Jesus is doing here. He's kind of using the word interchangeably, spirit and wind. Same thing, same thing goes for Hebrew. And the analogy is between the effects of wind and the effects of the spirit. We cannot control the wind, only detect its effects. Similarly, we cannot control the spirit, but where the spirit works, the effects are unmistakable. The Holy Spirit is also like the wind because it turns things upside down. Uh, the theologian Tom Wright says, opening the window and letting the breeze in can be very inconvenient, especially for the Nicodemuses of this world who suppose they have got things tidied up, labelled and sorted. If you are here today and you're considering becoming a Christian and saying yes to Jesus, know that God's Spirit will turn you upside down. He will transform every part of you in a mysterious and powerful way. And just as childbirth is painful in one sense but glorious in another sense, the new birth is also like that. You have to turn away from your old life and you begin a new life. You truly start living. It's hard to understand. Nicodemus didn't get it. He could sort of understand what, what, that something needed to happen and that God needed to do something, but he's still not getting it. And so the story continues. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. He's wanting to know his role. What do I do? Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, says Jesus, and do you not understand these things? You know, Jesus is having a go. You don't like to think of Jesus as the kind of person who has a go at someone, but he is here. He's like saying, you're the Reverend Dr. Professor Nicodemus, and you do not understand what I'm talking about. I am surprised. So he started using Nicodemus' own words to explain what he's talking about. Remember, earlier he had said, Nicodemus had said, we know you're a teacher who has come from God. And so listen to Jesus. He says, we speak of what we know, don't we? And we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not believe my testimony. See, his problem wasn't that Nicodemus wasn't a smart enough theologian. His problem was that he just didn't believe in Jesus. There are lots of very, very smart Christians I know in the world, professors, uh, great artists, writers, who are Christians, who do believe. Uh, the, the church and the Christian world is full of very, very super intelligent people. But I also know plenty of PhDs and professors who, who understand the complexities of Christianity in a lot of ways, but just do not believe. There's a, there's a, there's a wall on their heart, a brick wall, and they just don't let Jesus in. Jesus can see that at that moment, Nicodemus is like the second category. He's the super religious man who's just not letting Jesus him in. And he says, if you can't get the earthly things, in other words, the things that have to occur now, like that you need to be born again now, let's just not talk about the heavenly things yet. You know, the things that are to do with what happens in eternity. But Jesus does want to go on and explain one last important point about how this all works, how to be born again. And he says, let's think about the famous story of Moses and the bronze snake, which Nicodemus would have known with his eyes closed, from Numbers 21, verse 4 to 9. The Israelites are in the desert. As the Israelites want to do, they start whinging and whining to Moses about God. And they're saying, why, is, why are we in the desert? Why is all this annoying? Why does life have to be like this? And God just got so angry with Israel because... 
because he's blessed them and shown his grace so many times, poured it out so many times, yet they're still whinging and whining. So God judges them and sends a plague of venomous snakes. And it says in the passage from Numbers that um, many in the armies of Israel died because they were bitten by the snakes. And so the Israelites realised they'd done the wrong thing and they repented. So God told Moses to put a bronze, to make a bronze snake, to put it on a pole and hold it up. And to tell the people that to show their faith in God, they would look up at the bronze snake. And if they did, they would not die from the snakes. And this is what they did. That the people looked at the bronze snake lifted high on the pole. So Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, God is the kind of God that wants to show his grace to his sinful people. He wants to provide a way for salvation. If he can do it with Moses and a simple old bronze snake on a pole, he can do it even more profoundly through the Son of Man. He can do it by the Son of Man being lifted up. God can save people that way. And if people believe in him, they will have eternal life. Or more accurately, the Greek says, they will have life in the age to come. You couldn't get a more clear explanation for how we are to be saved and born again. Believe in Jesus and the power of his death on the cross when he is high and lifted up and you will be born again. You will see the kingdom of God. You will be able to enter the kingdom of God now and you will have a life in the age to come. And this is the great hope of the Christian faith. And I ask you, have you been born again? Has the breeze, the cool breeze of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, um, blown over your life and transformed you And have you responded and believed in Jesus and his death on the cross? If you have not, I challenge you to do it today. See, by the end of this scene, Nicodemus does not show much evidence that he's done that. He doesn't understand that God's spirit needs to work miraculously in him. He doesn't really understand what Jesus means by being born again. And he doesn't have a clue about what Jesus means by the Son of Man being lifted up. How could he? So much has to happen yet. But God was clearly working in his life. And the Gospel of John keeps tabs on Nicodemus a couple more times. We see two more little scenes. And we see that the Holy Spirit is working in Nicodemus' life. In chapter 7, Nicodemus stands up for Jesus and defends him in front of the Sanhedrin. But secondly, and more profoundly and beautifully, in chapter 19, after Jesus had died on the cross and they'd lifted, he'd been lifted up, high up, like as he, as he talked about, they died and he'd been lifted down. And listen to what it says in John 19, verse 39. Joseph of Arimathea, who don't know that his tomb for Jesus' burial, was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds or 34 kilos, that's a lot. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen, and this was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Nicodemus had finally understood what Jesus had meant when he said the Son of Man must be lifted up. On that cross, in Jesus' suffering, Nicodemus had seen God reveal himself. So he wanted to honour his Lord by by serving him in 
in his burial and giving him a traditional Jewish burial. And he'd finally understood what Jesus meant when he said, stop trying so hard, Nicodemus, just believe. Let's pray. Lord God, um, we thank you for Nicodemus and what he's shown us and what Jesus um, taught to us through that encounter with um, that religious man. We pray for all of us who are religious in this room that we will not be religious people who rely on our own intelligence or good works, but um, that we will just be people who believe in you and your power and the grace that God has shown us um, through your death on the cross.